well, we are already being bombarded uh, by Christmas adverts, aren't we? Um, and we're reminded of, of Christmas coming, coming along, and a reminder uh, that uh, you get gifts and you get gifts. You get gifts that are memorable, and you get gifts that are not so memorable. In fact, they might be memorable for the wrong reasons. Um, most memorable gifts are those of substance. Uh, the gifts that we receive um, that are memorable are those, those normally that are of substance, things that are much needed, are practical, things that have been helpful to us, are lasting. And there is a sense in which Paul, um, as he meets with the elders of Ephesus, uh, there is a sense in which he reminded them of the gifts that he had left with them. He reminds them that he left them with lasting gifts. He left them with gifts that, were, uh, that are eternal, if you like. He left them with gifts of substance. Uh, he came and he taught them the truth. He, he taught them gospel truth, and he applied the word to their lives in such a way as they were able to live their lives for God. And he was an example to them in how to live. He was not perfect in any way, but he was an example to them. And that raises the question, as I asked myself this question, as I looked at Paul and I looked at his example and I looked at the fact that he was asking them in many senses to remember him and to remember his ministry. I asked myself, what is it that I will be remembered for in my life and what is it that you will be remembered for in your life? How is it that people will remember us when we are gone? Because we're reminded that our lives are short. That we are here one day and the next day we are gone. But there is a sense of continuity. But what is it that we will be remembered for? Just a little bit of the context here of Acts 20 and, and, and Paul talking to the Ephesian elders. The context is that they are in this place called Miletus, there in verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Because we see there in verse 16 that Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia because there was a sense of urgency for him to get to Jerusalem. He was on his way to Jerusalem. So he, he, he sails past Ephesus and he gets to this place, Miletus, and he sends for the elders of the church to come and to speak to him. Now Miletus is, is on the west coast of modern-day Turkey. And it is about 50 miles from Ephesus. If you get onto the A9 and you travel north from Inverness, you will get to a place called Golspi, as many, many of you will know. That is roughly 50 miles, and that is the difference between my, that is the distance between Miletus and Ephesus. And here we have Luke. Dr. Luke speaking to us. And, and it's around about this time in Acts that he begins to use 
uh, first-person pronouns. He begins to say, this is what we did. And that's because Luke was there, he was present, and he was seeing what was going on. We went to Miletus and we stayed there. And this morning, um, fairly briefly, I just want to notice two things from this passage. I want to notice, first of all, Paul's priority. Paul's priority. And he was, uh, in many senses, at the beginning of the section, he was looking back to um, his ministry in Ephesus. And he was, we might say, he was devoted to uh, the cause of Christ, and he was devoted to his people. Uh, he was a teacher and pastor. Uh, just notice two things here. First of all, his motivation. What was his motivation? His motivation was, we, we see partly in verse 19, he says, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. Your motivation for going for an afternoon stroll this afternoon with the family is, is hopefully not because there is, is, is nothing good on TV. Motivation is, is, is really, really important. Hopefully your motivation is, is that uh, you, you want to spend time with your family. That's why you want to go for a stroll this afternoon. Motivation, motivation is key. You've come to church today, hopefully not because the coffee here is better than at home. But you want to meet with God. You want to meet with God's people. You want to be fed. You want to be... You want to receive God's word by his spirit. And Paul's motivation here was centered around the person of Jesus Christ and his calling to, to proclaim Christ in Christ crucified. His motivation is God-centered. It is all to do with Jesus. The preacher's motivation needs to center around God's glory first and foremost. Yes, you're wanting your people to be fed. You're wanting your people to gain knowledge. You want to apply the word of God to their lives so that they will be able to live today according to God's will for them. But it is all about God's glory. And Paul's motivation was the glory of God. Something of, of what he meant when he said to the Corinthians, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. How do, we apply, how do I apply that to my life and to your life? It's about identity. If you're a Christian believer here this morning, well, your identity is not in the church that you go to. It is not in your relationship with your spouse. It is not in your child. It is not in the success of your work or the failure of your work. My identity is not in my ability to preach. It is in the Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's absolutely key. If there's nothing else that we take away with us this morning, it is that our identity, your identity, is in nothing else but Christ crucified. 
And so his motivation is God's glory. Secondly, his message. His message we we, we see in, in verse 20, partly teaching you in public and from house to house. Interesting, the proclamation of God's word publicly and in house to house and in house churches. Bible studies around the word uh, in, in, in people's homes. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the gospel. And he proclaims, if you, if you like, the full counsel of God, including the gospel. I, I notice there the inclusivity in verse 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we, we need to really, really get that, that the gospel was for all people, including the Jews and include, including the Gentiles. If you walk down Academy Street, uh, there's a vast difference between going down Academy Street today in, in Inverness today than 15 years ago. The diversity is actually quite interesting, isn't it? Because you can walk down Academy Street now and you share different accents. You hear Eastern European uh, accents. You, you see people of color walking down the street. 15, 20 years ago, you wouldn't have heard that. And so there is a sense in which there is this diversity in Inverness now, which there wasn't there 20 years ago. And the, 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 the lesson of the church that that there is this inclusivity about the gospel, that the gospel is for all people from all nations, that, uh, and, and, and the church is to be diverse of, of all different types of people. Multicultural. And so there is a real sense of, when we think about Paul's priority, his, his motivation and, and his message, it was God-centered there was a devotion towards God and towards his people here in Ephesus and the elders as he speaks to them. And interestingly, there, he says, you know, you know. Twice he says, you know, you know. For some reason he had to defend the sincerity of his motives and perhaps because there had been these false accusations about him. Um, people had said things about him that were untrue. And so here he finds himself speaking to the elders of everything. He says, you know, you know what I did for you. You know my motivation. You know what my message was. You know because I was with you. You heard what I was saying. And there is a sense in which Paul is saying, remember me. Not remember me because I am important, but remember me because of what I brought to you and the gifts I brought to you and left you. And on this day of Remembrance Day, Remembrance Sunday, we remember, don't we? Remember the fallen with, with gratitude. We have freedom through the, fall, through, through the lives that were given. We remember... Perhaps we remember a loved one. We remember, the, remember what they brought to our lives, how they contributed to our lives. We remember with fondness our loved ones. We don't remember their mistakes, their imperfections. 
And you know, Paul, when you think about Paul, Paul, Paul was not the most attractive of guys. He was small, he was a little bit quirky, he was crippled in, way, in some ways, or he had been brutally persecuted and, and beaten up. And so Paul was not somebody who, who you would sort of like to look at. He was not the most eloquent of speakers. He, he wouldn't make much money on a post-prime ministerial speaking tour. But what Paul said had substance. The gifts that he left with his people were eternal. The gifts that he left with his people were eternal. The evidence of a successful ministry is is not how many plaudits the minister gets or the busyness of a church. But in one sense, as we think about Paul, a successful ministry with Paul, perhaps from this passage we would say, is that we come away with a vision of a big God, a loving God, a benevolent God. And so we notice his priority then this. Notice, secondly, his perspective from verse 22 and verse 22 to verse 27. And, and in this section, Paul replaces, you know, you know, with I know. I know. And he turns from the past, which they knew, to a future, which the Holy Spirit was teaching him. And the Holy Spirit warns him of hardship ahead. And yet the Holy Spirit still compels him towards Jerusalem. Notice there the uncertainty of the future, verse 22. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Uncertainty is difficult, isn't it? We get that cancer diagnosis and the the waiting for the results and the waiting and and not knowing about the future. And if Paul can be uncertain, then any of us can be uncertain (laughs) that we're all imperfect and in need of God's grace. But we're told there that he was constrained by the Spirit. And that, what does that mean? Not to be led passively without any control, but that he was certain of the will of God for him. He was certain of God's will for him. For him not to follow would be disobedient and rebellious. We we, we live in a day of autonomy, don't we? We live in a day of self-rule. We live in a day that is characterized by the words of Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. That's the day and age in which we live. And and if we're honest, many of us as well, we have that autonomous sort of mentality. I'll do it my way and, and no other way. And here we see the example of Paul who is constrained by the Spirit and is working in the in the will of God. And again, as I was looking at this last week, I found myself asking myself the questions, am I more constrained by worldly principles or pressures? 
Or am I constrained by the will of God for my life? Am I leaning into what God is doing in and around me? Or am I following my own rules and my own will? What about you this morning? What about you this morning? And Paul was an example to the Ephesian elders and to the flock. And don't we give thanks this morning for, for men and women who have blazed the trail of... Uh, the, no, they're not perfect, but they, they have been faithful to God. They have been obedient to God. Men and women who are far from perfect, but who have not bowed to the pressure of the world, but who have faithfully taken the baton and moved forward. Who have faithfully committed themselves to serve the Lord. It reminds me of a time uh, in Cape Town, hiking on Table Mountain, and there's a trail there that you can do. On, and we were, Kirstine and I, with my, my sister and brother, brother-in-law, and then on the last morning of a three-day hike, we suddenly realized, well, we, we, we didn't know what route to take on this particular day of hiking. And um, we, we came across, at breakfast, we came across a couple who, who said, no problem, we know the way. And yet the dilemma, because they were going off before us, the dilemma was how was it that they would show us the way? And they said, no problem. What we will do is we will leave little arrows where there is a junction in the hiking trail. Each time, look for the arrow and you can face the, and you can, lead, you can go on the arrow. And each time we came to a junction, there would be a little arrow there made out of wood or grass or something to show us the way. And when we think about direction, we, we know that we have God's word, but we also have the likes of Paul, but we have godly saints who have gone before us who live in a way that is godly and attractive. Those who can give us wisdom, uh, help, us, help us to know how to, how to live our lives today. Godly saints who have been through the same muddles and doubts as we have. And they are preachers like Malcolm and preachers' wives like Katie who have been committed with that godly perspective, who have shown the way, as it were, who have left us with wonderful gifts that lead to eternity. And that godly perspective is Christ first. Notice that Paul's overriding concern is not at all the, the costs to survival, but rather that he may finish the race and complete his God-given task. Perspective is really, really interesting. Wherever you may be in the northern hemisphere, Bathtub water will form a vortex as it goes down the drain, almost always spinning in a counterclockwise direction. But in the southern hemisphere, the bath water will spin in a clockwise, clockwise direction as it turns away. 
one in a few centers of population where the tub's plug hole is directly on the equator, such as Nanuki in Kenya, will the water run away twisting as often one way as the other, or forming no vortex at all. It's all about where you are. It's whether you're in the northern hemisphere or in the southern hemisphere or whether you are on the equator. It's all about perspective. And, and what is my perspective? What is your perspective? Is it a godly perspective that asks the question before we do things, praise to God, what is it that Jesus would do in this situation? What is it that God would have me do in this situation? We see, we've seen his priority. Paul's priority was committed to serve them in Christ's name. There was a devotion about him. And his motivation was God's glory. His message was the the riches of Christ and him crucified. Again, I ask myself the question I ask all of us this morning, what is it that motivates you? What is it that motivates me? What will I be remembered for? What will you be remembered for? And we saw his perspective as godly perspective and that's a perspective that doesn't just come overnight. And we desperately need God's grace, don't we? We all need God's grace because we can do nothing by ourselves. We need God's grace to, to be able to hone that godliness and that godly perspective. His godly perspective meant that he was in God's will and his priority was for for the well-being of others. And as much as we know, we can know we are in God's will, there is a priority. Prioritize seeking God's will for our lives and the priority of seeking the well-being of others before ourselves. Well, let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we thank you for your words. Uh, as always, dear Father, we we are dependent on your spirit to uh, take your word, to make it alive for us, and help us to apply it to our lives. Help us not only to be listeners of your words, but also to be doers of your word. Lord, continue with us, we pray. We ask it in Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we come to our last...